Welcome. You're listening to the Painted Goddess podcast with Jennifer Hrishu. This is episode number 51. Witches, it's been another week of our new kind of existence, I guess we could call it. And I bring good news. Not maybe the news that is the ultimate good news, but I do want to offer today a bit of gratitude and resilience, and I invite you to join me. My name's Jennifer. I'm the founder of Painted Goddess and the host of this podcast. And I wanted to reflect a little bit about why I created this podcast in the first place, just for a moment. One of the reasons, of course, is that, as you may know, I love to verbally process my thoughts. I love to speak out loud, to hear what it is that my heart wants to say. And so... I really do aspire to get into that place when I speak and speak with intention. And my thoughts are not always linear, I will admit, but I hope that they are of benefit to you all in these times, especially. I know many of us are or should be at home and that we're kind of dealing with our life. And one of my favorite teachers, Brooke Castillo, she has a podcast called The Life Coach School Podcast. And she is basically constantly talking about our ways that we buffer in order to abandon our lives to distract ourselves, in order to, you know, put ourselves in another place. We're using substances like food and alcohol. We're using uh, you know, events and our businesses and our family drama in order to just distract ourselves from how we're actually feeling, what we're actually experiencing and what the reality of our lives really is. And so I wanted to just mention and offer the thought, offer the belief that perhaps this is a time where we get to really see ourselves clearly. Now, I do also know that many of you who've reached out, this isn't changing your life too terribly much. I have a lot of listeners who stay home to do their work. They are are already, you know, watching their children at home, um, staying, you know, within the bounds of their home for a lot of the things that they do already. And for those of you who are listening who where that is the case, Somehow it's shifted as soon as someone is kind of limiting our outward ability to move around, we notice our brain offering us thoughts of feeling trapped or feeling um, somehow Im- Im- uh, imposed upon in a different way. Whereas when it's our choice, 
it feels very um, freeing to be able to choose to be from home. And that's where I'm at, where it's so interesting what my mind is telling me, like, oh, I need to go do this thing. Or what if I can't go do that thing? Or how am I going to do this thing? You know, or how am I going to get this need met? You know, and my brain just wants to catastrophize 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 all of the things and make them feel very immediate and one of the things that I've been trying to focus my mind on instead is the grace that I can give myself in order to just relax into what I have relax into what I have offered in my own home and how I can really just be here now uh, and I'm not doing a very good job of it, to be fucking honest. <laughs> it's not easy. I have found myself wanting everything to be different, wanting everything to be okay, wanting everyone who's suffering or, um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least basic means, right? You have a phone, you have access to internet, you have access probably to clean water. You have access to, um, you know, entertainment to some degree. And you probably have a job. You probably have meaningful work in the world in some capacity. It's at least meaningful to the company you work for or it's meaningful, meaningful to the people you take care of. And so, you know, we, we and I would say me specifically, um, I've just been, you know, questioning everything, like really what's worthwhile and stepping back almost in a way, because I think there's a lot of chatter right now that we can divert our energy to and really get spun up in the chaos of all of the things to consume continually everywhere, including this podcast, by the way. So being a consumer and being bred to be a consumer, being programmed to be a consumer is kind of facing us right now. And I would, I would venture to say that we could equate a lot of the problems we're facing right now as a culture with our patterns of consumerism, the way we've been trained to consume information as, but more important, not necessarily information. I mean, we have been trained to kind of just consume information without questioning it. We've been um, trained to consume um, information um, about uh, how and what unfolds within our life in a certain way. And much of it goes unchecked. We just take it in. And I was thinking a lot about how this affects my children, you know, they are, you know, spending more time on screens this last week being home. And even if they check into the Google Classroom, it's not graded work, it's not required of them. And it's not any kind of real person action interaction. And so the way they've been programmed actually suits this time quite well. They're adjusting really well to all of this, um, aside from the fact that I think that they are on a low level bored and don't really have any language to express that other than I'm bored, like, but they're bored on a, a whole nother level, 
right? They're just not stimulated by so much happening. They're staying inside the house mostly and some of some of the time spent outside, um, you know, makes me just so happy because, you know, it springs all of this, um, it, you know, imagination. I have a six, seven, six-year-old daughter who, you know, has definitely taken advantage of the sun that we had next last week. This week, it's going to be pretty much rainy the whole time. And so, you know, we're going to be probably stuck inside or, you know, maybe momentarily playing with puddles. But overall, we're safe and secure and cared for in the most privileged way that I can think of during this time. And that brings a lot of feelings for me. It brings up a lot of guilt, to be honest, and shame. And when I look at my life, I know that I have a lot to be grateful for. I have a lot that are that that is easy for me in this time. I've already transitioned my life to work from home and offer this podcast. I offer circles online. I was set up already to work online. So any of the live events that I have, which by the way, are lifeblood to my business, my like living, breathing connection collective events where where people get together mostly women and talk to each other feel each other's presence in that non-judgmental space is everything and I think what we're seeing right now especially if you're tuned into it is offerings like no other and like I said that can also become part of this chatter part of this, oh, I have all this time, I need to be productive, I need to consume all this information, I need to learn something new. And me being exactly that type of person, I really do like to utilize my time efficiently. I'm a very earth, uh, you know, kind of person. And my astrology points me to, you know, adventures of the mind and the imagination into research and into doing and productivity quite naturally. And so I don't do downtime very well. Um, Even yesterday, I had, you know, all this laundry to do. And so in order to meditate, I folded the laundry and breathed and took a moment. So I was still producing uh, good work while doing that thing. And so I just want you to notice how you're coping, really, what it is that you lead yourself into distraction with, and how is that helping you and serving you, making you feel. And, and by the way, there's no right way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. So, you know, posts that I've seen around, hey, you don't have to be productive. If it makes you feel good to be productive, don't shame yourself for that either, you know, the the great renaissances and, and bursts of ingenuity through human species have often come after a great recession or the plague when, you know, people had to be home and kind of social distance a little bit. And so I think it's part of humanity where when we get the space, we actually recognize our humanity in a whole new way and it creates a lot of beautiful Um, amazing things. I would also say that do not let this time teach you nothing. Remember, if we go back to our busy lives, go back to the way we always consumed things, material items, plastic in particular, 
as we're bringing things into our home that right now, you know, we want to limit that stuff too, because it could potentially get us sick, right? I think it's really interesting to just think on the future self that will take time to sit back that will remove your, you know, that you'll, you'll have a sense of what it means to remove yourself from consumption in order to sit in the beautiful amazingness that you are and to gain wisdom from within and to experience your feelings, to experience your, um, with, you know, your inner light, to tune into what's happening in your body and in your mind and in your heart and, you know, to actually just be there. And I think it's really challenging for most people's nervous systems right now to not have anything, you know, kind of demanding our time. For those of us who are unable to work right now, um, it's even more intense. For those of us who are actually working harder than we ever have, many of us in the online space see this as such an opportunity, you know, everybody's kind of it's their attention spans are different we have people at home during the day that are normally not at home during the day and so there's a possibility to even reach more people and so there's this kind of push that's happening and I as many of you know who've been listening have been you know working on a project to do a online um, collective for learning astrology, you know, an astrologic lab, as I coined it um, a couple of weeks ago. And I really had been pushing myself to hit the new moon in Aries timeline for a launch. And I just lost the will to do that, to push it. And, um, and I think right now I'm feeling that I have a lot to offer and I have a lot to give. And I also want to kind of lead by example that it may not be the time right now to start that new thing. And it might be, who knows, right? That's up to you to decide. It's always um, shifting. And part of me wants to do it anyways. And part of me doesn't. But this indecision that I've come up against, especially being sensitive right now to people's financial states and knowing too, there's still so many of us that really are not affected by this as much. Uh, there were people that were already struggling, uh, but prior to this, and now it's just exacerbated every single point of that vulnerability in some communities, especially when I heard, you know, New Orleans having that strong spike in infection rates and knowing that based on um, just the numbers, you know, they have quite a few less hospital beds than many thriving cities because of Hurricane Katrina happening and some hospitals at that time shut down and never reopened is what I heard on NPR the other day. And this just, you know, brings to a head thinking about the most vulnerable in our society, in our culture, in this world, across the globe, the most vulnerable is where we all are. None of us is any more uh, resilient in so many ways than that. Although 
the impact feels different. You know, many of us can kind of go on with our normal lives. We know we can pay our bills for at least a few months and everything's going to be cool. It's going to be all right, right? We're going to be able to weather this storm pretty well. And, um, but then it gets, you know, for, for most of us, I'd say it gets a little dicey after six or so weeks. And, you know, that's where it, it, it starts to kind of shift my, my, my feelings. And I don't know how I'll feel, you know, two months from now when everyone's picking back up the pieces, I feel like we'll be in this at least in through the end of May, to be honest. I don't have anything to base that on other than just what I've learned and what I've researched and how I'm feeling intuitively about this whole thing. But I believe that at least through that time, we're going to be pretty much um, left to our left to our houses and to our collectives that are very small, have a very small impact of physical space on others. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, that means that this week and this weekend, I FaceTimed with like four different friends that, you know, I usually don't see in my real life anyways, right? Because we don't live near each other. So reaching out to those who, um, especially your extrovert friends, right? They're really suffering right now. <laughs> yeah, but, but not to say that anyone's suffering more or less, but it's just kind of this thought that, you know, we're all experiencing this in a little bit of a different way. And, um, and I'm just, I'm just breathing into this and I'm breathing out of this and I am working through it best I can with the tools that I have. So when we come back on the other side of this, um, I'm going to offer you a little bit of, um, resilience training thoughts on how to weather this storm within your body. Okay. Taking the external out, making sure we're understanding that facts and circumstances are neutral and how to really position yourself perspectively in order to keep yourself um, as aligned as possible, right? Not necessarily positive or negative, but in alignment and, um, and cultivating some of the beliefs, feelings, and thoughts that you actually want to have despite what's going on around you. All right, I'll talk to you soon on the other side. Hello, witches. Welcome back. Okay. So I made some notes and wanted to kind of just outline what it is that we're talking about here when I think of building or cultivating witch resilience. Okay. Now you don't have to be a witch to utilize these um, resilience methods, but I do think that they are part of what makes which is so resilient. And I talk a lot about seasons and cycles. So, you know, that's all kind of in the background for sure. There's a basis to build resilience. I think noticing that everything feeds the next part of the cycle, right? When you look at the seasons, you look at plants or trees, everything in its own time. Everything is working towards the next cycle. So, you know, when a when a plant is sprouting leaves, it's working towards blooming because it needs extra energy to bloom. And 
it blooms because it wants to spread its seeds, right? And it wants to be um, beneficial and uh, attractive to pollinators. And so, uh, you know, and then and then it die, you know, those blooms die and fall off in order to uh, conserve energy for the colder months when, you know, there's no sun to really... Uh, to draw from to get new energy and it sends all that energy down into the roots so that it can be stronger i also you know when we look at lessons from trees specifically there's a wonderful video that one of my teachers chris maddox from the wild woman project put out this week just reminding us of the wisdom of trees and we spent an entire new moon cycle a, a lunar cycle for um, the sign of Capricorn talking about the wisdom of trees and the root systems that are attached by this fungal mycelium system underneath the roots and even that trees speak to each other through that and and this mirror that we have of the internet and I would say things like this like podcasts where we get to share, it's this kind of connective tissue that supports us and connects us across time and space and everything. And this is something that can guide your contemplation during this time, connecting to those things that aren't physically with you. You know, noticing the connective tissue in our thoughts and in our prayers and in our in our mindfulness, right? Just like we really can't experience, um, wh- you know, when we're feeling fear, when we're feeling upset, you know, we're feeling that feeling. And I completely suggest feeling that feeling instead of trying to avoid it. But it's one of those where when we are kind of not seeing the way that we're connected to others and it feels like we're separate and isolated and lost, a remembrance and knowing of these, you know, kind of magical pieces of existence that we don't always see or that we don't ever see in some, in some cases, um, just knowing those things I think is part of like a witch's tool belt that helps her feel or him feel connected to something larger than yourself plugging into that wisdom plugging into that and you know imaginary uh, imaginary is such a funny word I would redefine it to some degree as we can imagine it and it is real but it's often used in terms of things that quote aren't real Um, but if we can imagine it there's a sense of it in an of it existing Just as you can imagine things that have happened in your past, and yes, they're not with you right now, you know, you can imagine, you know, hugging your grandmother who's passed, right? You can remember the feeling of what that felt like to be safe and held, Um, I hope. You know, there's some of us that maybe don't have that recollection. Um, I'm always considering the flop side of everything that I say. (laughs) So, um, you know, but... When we, when we connect to that imaginary sense, that, that invisible connectivity, we can cultivate a little more uh, feeling of being connected. And 
having our minds towards that is not necessarily, I would say, avoiding this isolation, this being aloneness, um, this kind of re retraction from culture or society, which you obviously don't have to do now. You can be online, you can be on social media, you can be connecting with people. So there's this there's this really beautiful thing that's happening and we can we can choose how to use these tools. But when you're cultivating resilience within yourself, right, which I think is important to do at any time, but it is highly useful in times like these, is, you know, you recognize, you know, I, I wrote down how you get through this is a sign of how you cope. You know, it's, it's that adage, like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so noticing the habits that come to call when being forced inside or, 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 um, without having, you know, a job or a schedule to mind that has been a routine. And when we look at how we cope, we might be very judgmental of ourselves. I think that's very normal. And like I said to myself just this morning, and, and I think I even mentioned it in the first part of this podcast, you know, I'm not sure I'm doing it very well. Uh, but what I am doing is I'm noticing. I'm noticing what shows up for me. I'm mating that, that aspect of myself with love and with grace and, uh, you know, offering myself, you know, just forgiveness, Forgiveness for doing the best I can with what I have in this moment. And when I'm feeling fear or when I'm feeling sadness or despair, you know, that's the feeling I'm having. That's the place I'm in. And, and the best I can do at that moment looks very different than when I'm feeling connected and when I'm feeling rejuvenated and when I'm feeling revived. And to say that we are going to feel one way or another all of the time, I think, is one of the lies that we tell ourselves that does not serve us very well because everything shifts. And even when and if or, you know, you go through real deep depression or deep sadness or, or really activated anxiety, these things shift, right, eventually, sometimes we have to push ourselves, but I would say that most of the time pushing is not what actually gets you through, right? And so I wanted to offer these tools that I think cultivate resilience um, in a witchy way and hope that they're useful to you. So one of the, you know, there's really two buckets that I created in order to organize my thoughts around this. And the first, the first one is contemplative practices, and so these contemplative practices involve the, the body as well as the mind and heart and spirit. And a contemplative practice can really be quite anything, okay? You can um, engage yourself in a contemplative practice while doing any task. In some ways, it's um, the inner life that happens while we do stuff. And, and, and 
you know, if you're a human, then you know that you can fold laundry and be angry and be stewing over anything, right? Any one thing that's that's kind of with you right then you can stew over or, you know, or if there's an anxiety or if there's a joy too, you can stew in that joy while folding laundry and all of those things make that action feel very different. So a contemplative practice is a habit. A contemplative practice is a habit that I think we train our minds to do. And this is proven by, you know, centuries of, you know, meditative practice and studies where when you train your mind, when you train your brain to be that watcher, the one who kind of witnesses what's going on and isn't necessarily identifying with the emotion, right? You've maybe heard the saying, you are not your emotions, it's one of those that it's like the emotions are a sensation in your body. You're experiencing them. So to quote unquote feel better is not necessarily to feel better, like saying like, oh, I want to feel better. Like I'm going to feel joy now only, right? I'm going to wake up every day and I'm just going to feel joy and I'm just going to, you know, that's that whole love and light thing, right? It's total bullshit. Everything is 50-50. You're going to feel probably 50% of the time just awful. And this is another teaching that I learned from Brooke Castillo in the Life Coach School. And it helped me so much to realize like, oh, this is normal. Nothing has gone wrong. Nothing's gone terribly wrong just because I'm fearful or afraid or scared or um, feeling, you know, depressed or feeling anxious or being, you know, basically it's all feelings of discomfort, right? All of those feelings of discomfort that come up like, I don't like feeling this way, right? That's the first thought we have. Oh my God, I'm angry. I hate feeling this way. And it almost makes you angrier to feel angry, right? And that's that double-edged sword they talk in Buddhism about, you know, you, you feel angry and then you feel angry for feeling angry. And it's like, wow, how many arrows can I throw into that one bullseye and just activate, activate, activate that to the highest degree, what a contemplative practice does, and I think, you know, any witch who's worth her salt recommends meditation or contemplative practices. It's one of the reasons we have all these tools of divination, because it's a gateway. It's a path inward. It's a way in. It's a crack in that sidewalk, right? It's a way to get back to what's here now and to witness it with compassion, and if compassion is not available to you in that moment of anger, in that moment, I would say that that's what training is for. So you bring compassion first to maybe others. It might be really easy for you to have compassion for someone. Maybe it's just your animal. Maybe it's your dog. You really have compassion for them. They've torn apart the house. They've shit all over the house. They've torn up your favorite whatever. And you just still love the shit out of them. You still love them. And I think a lot of us have that experience. Personally, I'm not a fan and I don't live with dogs because I, I just, you, maybe this is surprising to you. Maybe it's not, but I don't have, I mean, I just don't want to deal with someone I can't reason with. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe I don't know why I had kids. No, I'm just joking. They are very reasonable sometimes. One more than another. And I love them both equally because, you know, for me, it is my children. I, I, 
you know, so hopefully you find someone, something in your life that is, it's easy for you to forgive them. It's easy for you to forgive. Maybe it's as simple as, um, you know, just noticing that piece first. Like, who is it that you really can forgive regardless of what happens? You know, maybe it is your mother. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's your grandmother. Maybe it's your coworker. Perhaps it's your boss. Where you just really do feel empathy and, and want to forgive anything that comes up. It feels okay to forgive them. And, and sometimes, you know, I would say that if we, if you've done enough work, um, enough work, whatever that fucking means, if you've done some self work on forgiveness, I think that feeling, that forgiveness, that compassion is available to you as well. We're not usually trained to forgive ourselves. We're, we're, we're often told to abdicate our power away to others, you know, <clears throat> and, you know, to, to give them power over our emotions. They made me feel this way. And then, you know, we, t we teach our toddlers this, you must, you know, you got to apologize. You shouldn't do that. You made this person feel this way. Giving, giving someone power to make you feel some way is, um, a fallacy of our emotional freedom. Like it's one of those things that does not serve anyone, in my opinion. When you are constantly trying to, because this this is how this is how we get to a point where we mold ourselves and our public persona in order to make sure people like us, right? Oh, I'm going to act this way so that so and so likes me. And if someone likes me, then I'll feel good about myself. That's when that'll happen. You know, but you don't get to love every, you know, you don't get to love yourself only because others love you, right? Like, that's not even how that works. And and it usually doesn't, doesn't result in, in a feeling of self-love. In fact, we continue to chase others' approval indefinitely <laughs> instead. So... What I want to offer is that these contemplative practices can kind of bring us a sense of who we are as a watcher, who we are, you know, from a from a from a perspective of a spirit, from of oneness with nature and the whole of humanity. And that it will cultivate resilience in a way that's pretty witchy, in my opinion. So here, here's my offerings for contemplative practices. This won't be the first time you've heard this, I'm sure. But the first is meditation um, and movement. So to me, for me, this happens in two ways. It happens for me in yoga, when I am breathing with my body and moving. And by the way, yoga is very simple. It's not fucking hard. Um, you can approach it in a way of athleticism, but I don't recommend that. Many of my best um, yoga practices have been while I've been at the grocery store, breathing while I'm pushing the cart, walking in, in my own cadence. And, you know, there's there's a way that we can kind of syncopate our body with our breath that helps to become meditative. And that's all that it is. And like I said, you can do that in any way. You can do that while washing the dishes. You can do that while going to the bathroom. You can do that while washing your hands. 
you can become, you know, kind of a watcher to your thoughts. And the breath will kind of help you to ground into your body because your breath is one thing that you can control in your body, but also happens automatically. So when you notice the breath, you notice, oh, is it quick? Is it slow? Is it deep? Is it shallow? Maybe it's raspy. Maybe you're having a hard time breathing through your nose because of allergies. So you can just notice where your breath is in your body, even right now. Have you been completely exhaling? <clears throat> Have you been letting all of the air out of your body? Have you fully inhaled yet today? You know, Dr. Weil, one of the great um, holistic um, physicians of our time, he mentioned, you know, three rounds at least a day of nine breaths that were deeply inhaled and exhaled. And how that reorients your body and your mind into a sense of being instead of doing. And that this serves us to remind ourselves that we are grounded in our body, that we are in charge kind of of our temperament. You know, we really do have complete sovereignty. Um, you know, and I would say when we want to manage our thoughts we then become able to manage our emotions. And managing doesn't mean we're strong-arming them into feeling a certain way. You know, it's more of witnessing, allowing, and then offering nurturing. And one of the practices that really helped me to understand this whole situation is a Tara Brock teaching of RAIN, which is um, an acronym um, for... Um, for how we might notice our thoughts. So, um, and RAIN stands for, I'm going to quickly Google this shit because my goodness, I know it's like reflect. Hold on. Oh my gosh. Can you, can you just tell my, my, uh, so you recognize, here we go. That's what it, I was like, uh, could not remember the actual word she used. So, it stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. So RAIN is a really helpful tool for contemplation practice in the mind and body, spirit, heart. You can do this in a moment. You can just recognize what's there. Oh, I'm feeling angry, right? Then you allow that feeling. What does it feel like in my body? Or, well, you allow it first, right? This is small steps. So you recognize, oh, I'm feeling angry. You name it. Naming something is really important. I think that many of us are asked to feel only certain ways. We're only allowed to be happy. Oh, why aren't you smiling? Why aren't you feeling happy? Can you feel better so I feel better, please? You know. You're probably like, oh, look. What? You're probably like, oh, yeah. You're, you should be careful of the blade. Oh, Evelyn's got a Pokemon. Oh, it's got the, a... Yeah, it's got the black thing. Like, you put it on, and then you put the black thing, and then boom, it will... And then boom, the spike will touch you. That's amazing. So, you have a black piece of rubber that is on the back of the Pokemon pin, and it's on your shirt, and then it won't hurt you. That's perfect. And there's a hole. That's right, so that it fits over the needle part. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for and sharing. Did you, and did you see that? 
Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Yep. Thank you. Okay, can you close the door? Sure. I love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so, Evelyn, um, <laughs> she's six. Um, we're just home, and I'm just, we are what we are, right? So, that's interesting, though, because, so contemplation can become that black rubber stopper. Because our thoughts can often be very sharp and edgy and based on like really intense emotion, right? Shit happens. We're in crisis right now. It can be this pin. It's like, oh, I'm going to put this pin on. Well, contemplative practices like meditation and movement, being in your body, can be that rubber stopper against your skin. It can help you to realize what's there right now. So you recognize it, you name it. Okay, and by just doing that, it's empowering. God, I'm feeling sad right now. And you don't act just yet. Notice none of this is like, and spring into action, right? You recognize that feeling. You recognize what it is. You name it. And then you allow it. And that's discomfortable, discomfortable. That's not always comfortable. That's uncomfortable territory, I think. Like I said, we're, we're often told or asked or forced or, or even, you know, passive aggressively kind of molded into feel, excuse me, feeling a very small range of emotions, right? And then emotions are, you know, kind of categorized as good and bad, right? It's bad to feel angry. It's bad to feel sad. Sadness doesn't do any good things for you, which is a complete fucking lie right? Sadness creates art. Sadness creates empathy. Sadness is the first thing that happens, I think, when we notice something that moves us, right? There's a longing um, for something that might be different, right? If we're sad in our jobs, we're sad in what we're doing with our lives, right? We might notice that. And if we allow that sadness to really develop and say, Oh, you know, this is where I sit um, in order to, um, you know, this is where I can sit. I can sit in the sadness for a moment and let it shift. Now, I'm no, I'm not trained. You know, I had a conversation with a really wonderful teacher, my yin yoga teacher. She's trained in so many trauma-informed practices. She's, um, you know, just a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, meditation can bring you into crisis, okay? <clears throat> Someone who's untrained, like myself, can be very dangerous when leading people through meditations and guided visualizations, because there are dark places in our mind and in our spirit that we're not really ready to confront. And so to that, I say, you know, sometimes folks will during meditation say, oh, I, I wasn't really there. I kind of, I kind of just went into nowhere and now I'm back here. And in some ways, I think that's our brains and our hearts kind of protecting us against things we're not ready to experience or to face. And that's also okay, right? Allowing however it comes to us. Now, if you have a pat pattern of being really sad and letting that really dig you deep, of course, reaching out to people that know, know how to help is important. And I think it's something that I've been working on. 
but I am no expert in, in, you know, states of depression and anxiety. I have had a very sturdy constitution, both mind and body. Um, my spirit has always been very troubled, um, which is why I've always sought out religious teachings throughout every culture. I've read and, and, and dive, dived, dove, dove into every kind of religious teaching that I could find at some point in my life or another. You know, and I have read the spiritual teachings of countless masters and small-minded people as far as I'm concerned. So um, that's my caveat, I guess. But recognizing and then allowing that feeling or even the thought, right? This can work with thoughts as well. Recognize the thought. What's the thought behind this feeling even, right? I'm feeling angry. What's that thought there? Well, the thought behind my anger is that someone meant to hurt me or this shouldn't be happening, right? This shouldn't be the way that it is. I'm so angry. And then we allow that to be, we say, yeah, I feel, you know, actually maybe sometimes you feel like I should be angry about this. I am angry about this. I have a right. Of course you have a right to feel whatever you feel, <clears throat> but giving yourself that validation, recognizing and allowing, I have a right to my feelings. I have a right to my thoughts right? They're, they're created by my experience. Trust that your self-evidence is enough to give you your feelings and your thoughts. Now that doesn't make them true. Okay. Just like anybody's opinions doesn't make it true. Okay. You can still lie to yourself, you know, or you can still have a trauma response, right? A feeling or a thought that is guided by past trauma, um, but we want to allow those feelings to be there when it's safe. And if it feels unsafe, you know, of course, reaching out is a really good, um, practice. And then you want to investigate, like I said, you say, well, what is that? What is behind that anger? What is behind that feeling? Sometimes you find sadness behind the anger. Sometimes you feel, um, you find betrayal behind the anger, right? And you might even give it a feeling of like a, a temperature is hot or cold, right? Or maybe it's really dampening. And then you want to just nurture, right? That's the N in rain is nurture. So by recognizing and naming what it is that you're feeling, allowing that feeling to be there, without trying to change it, without trying to judge it. Okay, and then and then maybe taking it a little deeper. And you might not get through all these, you know, you might not get through the whole rain the first time. You might just be able to recognize it and then you're like, and I'm sprung into action, right? That's your that's your response. But your ability to respond um after a lot of training. And by the way, we have thousands of thoughts a day. So you have a lot of opportunity to train your mind to rest in this kind of contemplation, right? To rest in this, recognize, allow, investigate, nurture, right? When we, when we blame ourselves for feeling these ways, when we blame ourselves or feel shame on top of that first emotion, that first thought, it's like, oh, why do I feel this way? Why am I thinking this? Uh, uh, uh. 
and it just will continue to loop and loop and loop, right? But to bring it into the body and to meditate on it, to recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture what's really there. And then maybe most of my best teachers say you got to bring it into your body. So maybe at one point, you know, you're in the middle of a grocery store and you're just so fucking angry and you're so over it and you're feeling very frazzled. Um, this is, I think a grocery store is kind of the the hot, hot point at this point, like where where we might feel frazzled because we're out of something that we need or whatever it is. Um, or maybe it's just our homes right now, right? We're very um, frazzled or, or uncomfortable in our homes because we're kind of being forced to be here. But investigating that, like, well, what, what is that about? Why am, why am I so feeling averse right now? And there's so many different reasons that you might feel, um, you know, angry about being where you're at or, or angry about who, who said what or whatever, right? So investigating that and then allowing that to be there um, as well, right? The allow extends to that investigation. And then you want to nurture it. And nurturing is... Um, you know, uh, Tara Brock often will say, you know, that feeling of a smile across your mouth. See if you can have that feeling across your heart. See if you can breathe into a smile across your heart. You might close your eyes and recognize that the clouds could smile in the sky. Just a gentle bow of a downward arch that reminds us of a smile and you might even picture something like a rainbow or you know a cat being scratched under its neck or a feeling that you have in the sun sand on your feet you might be able to find just a bit of nurturing in that moment and it's not to cover or shift, but to just nurture that feeling. So I'm not saying to like imagine yourself and take yourself away from that moment, that feeling, that thought. The nurturing piece of it really is about holding it in that space, making a soft landing for that and saying, you know, it's okay that I'm angry right now. It's what I'm feeling. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong or something's gone terribly wrong or I'm bad, right? I'm human. I like to say sometimes, like, I'm feeling superhuman right now. <laughs> I'm superhuman right now. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes that's that, that monkey brain, you know, going on and 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 on. And it's superhuman of me to lash out. It's superhuman of me to have gotten it wrong. You know, it doesn't actually show I'm weak or something's gone wrong at all. It's just that I'm human. And giving ourselves space for that. By the way, when you start to give yourself space for that and you meditate through just even that contemplative practice, and then maybe you bring it into your body. Maybe you maybe you open your heart by by pushing, and I'm doing this even right now, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but putting my shoulder blades back, putting my hands down, open palms facing forward in like this mountain pose is what they call it in, in yoga when you're standing and you've got this kind of um, open-armed 
sense, right? And there's this, but you push your, you can push your shoulder blades back even to open up your heart, open up your chest, and you might tap on your chest a little bit to just kind of, or soothe it with, by, by rubbing that space on your chest so it opens, opening towards your armpits, right? Just massaging there, bringing that into your body and saying, this anger, this anger is with me, right? And, and, and allowing it to, to feel where it is in your body. You know, my heart closes down when I get angry. So even just talking about this anger makes me want to do open heart poses. So it's just like, where in your body can you personify that feeling? And, and can you, can you move the energy around in a way that nurtures and maybe works through, feels it all the way through, right? Because I think we, I think we, you know, in chakra work, we, we see this a lot, right? You see, you know, the blockages of the chakra in, in your, in your chakra system, right? Well, you don't, I don't know. Do you see them? <laughs> you might, you probably feel them. Like if, if you do a body scan of your chakras from your root chakra down in your bottom and your perineum where your sits bones are, right? And that's your legs as well, but it extends, you know, is that blocked? Can you feel in your belly, your sacral chakra, right by, you know, basically your navel, <clears throat> you know, how's that feeling there? Are you tightening your belly all of the time? Is that, you know, do you have digestive issues, right? Maybe a blockage there in your solar plexus, you know, are you willing to kind of have a strong will about your own value system? Do you feel as though your value system is worthy of airspace when a lot of people are talking, right? You might have a solar plexus block. The heart chakra can be definitely, as I mentioned, where we get really angry, right? But we shut our heart off so we, we don't feel empathy for others. So an armored heart can feel a lot like disconnection, it can feel as if we are not connected to, to life. We're not connected to those we love. We're not connected. So, and then we have our throat chakra. You know, do you speak your truth? Can you speak your truth? So it's one of those where all of these chakras are, are, are kind of working. Your third eye, you know, it's have I let my intuition in? Have I activated my intuition? And you can even rub your forehead a little bit and just think of like, what am I really needing right now? And just look within instead of looking around. Right? That's that, that's that practice of looking within. And your crown chakra connects you to the divine. Right? It connects you to... Um, divine presence and our and our divine um, mm, our divine oneness and so you can you can kind of feel maybe where you could bring this emotion this thought can you bring it into your body right like maybe it feels like just sitting and rolling rolling your rib cage around right? Loosening that up. And I would say that overall, if we're restricting our emotions to a small range in order to be like palatable, digestible, and okay with like those around us, you're definitely going to have some blockages. Because if you're ratcheting down your experience so that others are comfortable. Now, and it's not to say go around being like an asshole or anything. 
But it's one of those where if I know my, I think sentiment makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It made a lot of our parents uncomfortable. Anytime we cry, I'll give you something to cry about. You know, like they always just wanted us to feel better. And I cannot say I've never given my daughter ice cream to make her stop crying. I'm not fucking perfect. But I always think about, you know, honoring her emotional states because she's feeling them. They are intense. And we all have that within us. So how are we today as adults using this contemplative and meditative movement in order to work through what it is we're experiencing and allowing it and validating ourselves because I think more we validate ourselves we're going to be actually able to be there for others and validate their feelings now whether they're willing to accept or receive that validation is a whole nother thing right because often traumatized people can't be held they actually don't feel comfortable being held while going through things, which is why I think we all disconnect um, during tough times, right? I mean, you've all, all heard the term fairweather friends, but it goes deeper than that. You know, when I think we tend to isolate when we're going through something really tough because we don't trust oftentimes that others can actually hold space for us without judging us. Okay. Here's another contemplative practice. <laughs> you might have heard me mention this a few times. <clears throat> Tarot cards, oracle cards. And in light of that, I pulled a, an oracle card. When I came back to the desk, I just felt called to pull one of these goddess cards. And I pulled Artemis. In fact, she leapt out <laughs> of the deck and I'm going to read you her poem from The Goddess Oracle by Amy Sophia Maraszynski, a beautiful <clears throat> book and oracle deck. I highly recommend it for contemplation, especially when you're wanting to welcome in wisdom from um, the goddess tradition. Um, you know, yes, there are many more goddesses than are in this oracle deck, but I think there are so many beautiful messages that come through on this so I'm going to read to you from it. And if you want to take a look at my Instagram at Painted Goddess um, and on Facebook, Painted Goddesses, you'll see a picture. I'll post this um, for Wednesday for the website or for the for the podcast. Artemis, her theme, her association is selfhood. <clears throat> I am who I am and I know who I am. I can take care of myself under all circumstances and I can let others take care of me. I can choose. There is no authority higher than my own. My powers of discernment are finely honed. I am autonomous. I am free from the influence of others' opinions. I am able to separate that which needs separation. So a clear decision can be reached. I think for myself, I set my sights and aim my bow. My arrows always find their mark. <clears throat> so the meaning of the card here, and I'll just read straight here, Artemis has shot her arrow of selfhood into your life to help you focus on yourself. You have been too much at the service of others 
without making sure you get what you need for yourself. Well, how about a card just like pulling, like fucking calling me out? Has it been too long since you had time to yourself or a space of your own? Do the boundaries of your selfhood seem blurred and indistinct? No. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, I'm feeling such collective energy lately. It's, it is hard to discern. So that's an interesting contemplation that I, I will definitely be thinking about. Do you feel you have no right to a self of your own, but must always be thinking of others, putting others' needs first, until you don't know who you are or what you want? Now is the time to come into yourself. Now is the time to pay attention to the whispering voices of your own needs. Now is the time to take yourself back and celebrate and strengthen who you are. Artemis says that wholeness is nurtured when you honor, respect, and give time to yourself. She also asks how you can expect to hit any targets if you don't have a self from which to shoot. Whew. So there's this taking yourself back meditation offered here. And um, I might just record that and add it as a bonus episode. If you're interested in that work, please uh, send me a note. You can send an email to jennifer at .com, or you can get in touch with me on Instagram or on Facebook. So, yeah, oracle cards for contemplation are very helpful. And it's because it brings in archetypal wisdom and different esoteric mystical traditions and asks you to think about it. <clears throat> you know, in a regular, quote unquote, regular tarot deck, there are, you know, 72 cards it's, or 78 cards. Rather, it's, it's one of those where it has all these different suits. There's all these different modes. And just like astrology, which is another um, divination um, practice that helps with contemplation. It's one of those where when you pull something, it's just asking you to begin that conversation. It's just prompting you to consider something in a certain way. And so rather than have someone suggest something to you, which sometimes can be triggering, right? It can be like, oh, it comes from them. And so, I mean, this is something I have. Um, maybe, maybe you do too. You know, when it's a suggestion from someone, especially like my mother or like, I mean, God bless her. I fucking love my mom. But, you know, sometimes, especially when I was younger, if she would suggest something, it became immediately unattractive. And so, you know, we have we all have people in our lives like that. And especially when we find ourselves at home, it's like maybe we would have loved maybe we've been dying for a good, you know, staycation at home. We have lots of projects around the home. You know, we never seem to get it all done. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves in our home, not necessarily by choice. And it seems impossible to have the motivation to do anything. And I think this is so funny. It's one of those human ways we self-sabotage because we always think it would be better to be somewhere else doing something else. And, you know, the, the internet is full of other better things and other better realities and other, you know, 
situations our lives should be in and you know it'd be better if I were married and had two kids or it'd be better if I were single or it'd be better if I were rich or it'd be better if I had you know a, a vacation house in Bali I mean maybe some things are like un un uh, <laughs> unarguably true but it's one of those where it's it's so funny, whereas if it's a suggestion from elsewhere, sometimes it doesn't land the same way as when it comes through a divination practice. And I think that's one of the ways that we tune in to our own intuition and remind ourselves and self-validate. So, you know, this Artemis card for me is reminding me that I do have my own goals and regardless of the goals of um, you know, this virus right now to spread itself, right? The, the virus is enough itself. It's a self, right? It wants to just take over the world. And how am I, you know, no, my goals are to lead a healthy life, are to support and to keep safe those that I love. And so I'm going to make certain decisions based on my goals, even though something else may have a different goal, right? And so I keep my eye on my bullseye, which, you know, doesn't have to be everyone else's target. Okay. So we talked a little bit about tarot oracle. I mentioned briefly astrology. I think astrology and tarot are kind of hand in hand. I often use them together. Astrology, when we look at transits, when we look at what's really going on, you know, the fact that yeah, um, on the 22nd of March, you know, Saturn was moving into Aquarius, which Saturn is restriction and constriction and Aquarius is freedom and the collective. So what's happening literally in the in the planetary bodies right now is that Saturn, it moved into Aquarius. So there's this constriction of constriction, constriction of the collective freedom that we all are experiencing right now. Isn't that interesting? And what does that give us? Because all these, everything we experience has an opportunity within it. Even if it's an opportunity to really express and understand our anger, really express and understand our depression, our isolation, our anxiety, right? Um... It's one of those things that I think when 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 a planet transits through something, you know, as an astrologer, I don't really have, I mean, of course, you know, who knows, except for in hindsight, how these things really work out. I actually went back and read the Pisces season astrology I wrote for the astrological uh, book that I, um, I offer um, uh, as a part of the Magical Earth subscription box. <clears throat> And I was like, whoa, some shit really went down collectively. It's like the best way to kind of check my work. And I went and read it and I was like, you know what? I did pretty good because a lot of it, it was so interesting. There's so much challenging energy that happened during Pisces season. Of course, I could not have known that this was the exact expression of it. So many of the days where things transitioned or things were worsening or certain things happened, you know, there was a lot of real truth telling that the planets were trying to get us. It's just like really looking at how we live our lives, what we see as controllable, what we see as something within our control. How are we, you know, actually 
giving away control by trying to control everything we actually can't control, right? By, by taking the, the eye off the target of our own selfhood. <clears throat> and and in, in that way, it's not independence, it's interdependence, right? Because who am I a self always in context? I'm always in context of something. But to not necessarily self-identify with any one of those contexts, like I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I'm a business owner. Who am I in my selfhood? And, and, and the sankopa that I made for this beginning of this new year is I will not take off or change my hat for you any longer. I am who I am. I am not in the, in the, you know, I'm not, I'm as aligned as I can be in every moment with anyone. And frankly, if you don't like me, then I love you for not liking me for what I just, it's not like, oh, I love you. I'm going to like fucking whatever. I'm not going to, you know, by the way, I don't bend over backwards for anyone. Um, not even myself, because it's a highly uncomfortable <laughs> uh, position. But but it's one of those, like, I do the best I can in every moment. And that changes all of the time. And I do my best to give others the grace that I seek to give myself. It's equal. I see it as a mirror and so when I look at the astrological transits, I think, you know, that's what's happening too. It's a mirror. And um, I love to look into that mirror and see myself. I love to look into the mirror of my son in Virgo in the fourth house and think, you know, this is kind of my time to shine being in the home. How am I, you know, regulating and managing my myself um, within that grace of the whole. And, um, yeah, I don't know if that sentence made sense. <laughs> That's okay. As I mentioned, I process things as I speak them and this podcast is not written down. It's just me speaking. So, um, one other contemplative practice, I recognize I've been talking for quite some time. One of the other contemplative practices that I really, really love is altar building. So I build altars all throughout my house. They involve plants. They involve crystals. They involve candles. They involve soap dishes. They involve, um, you know, rocks we found at a beach. They involve pictures of my family. Everything in my house is an altar, nearly. The front door is an altar to going outside. You know, everything I see is sacred in some form or fashion. And so I really do enjoy that practice as contemplative. It's like, what do I want to add to this space? Or what do I want to edit from this space? Um, and it's a whole life. And it shifts as I do. And it helps to support me in knowing where I'm at right now or where my brain was a month ago, things that I put on the altar that I was working on, you know, whether they be self-love or 
or resilience or uh, strength or, um, you know, uh, self-evolution, whatever, whatever thing that I'm kind of contemplating uh, will be reflected around my house. And they're just little Easter eggs for me to find when I'm in my life. There are little reminders. Um, one of the most recent ways I think this is happening is so many people are putting like signs of affirmations around their homes, right? Things that are like house rules, you know, we do, we do this here, we do this here, we do forgiveness, blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, I have, um, I have a frame in my house that's, um, I made it as a, it's just a frame. It's got a, a piece of like scrapbook paper in it. So it's just a pattern, um, that's been framed. And I, my idea was that I could write on it with a, with a, um, dry erase marker and then like change it all the time. Right. And I could just write an affirmation on there and it could change all the time. But years ago, probably like four years ago now, I wrote on it, we are the weirdos they warned you about. And it's never changed. And, you know, it's one of those things that I'm just like, this is me making a disclaimer for anyone who comes into my house. So there's that. Okay, so those are kind of the contemplative practices that bring mind and body, heart, and spirit together. Is this meditation and movement, tarot and astrological perspective work, and altar building, right? Because you can involve your mind and your heart and your spirit in all, and your body in all of these things. Okay. And um, the other bucket that I kind of wrote down was comforting practices. So there's contemplative practices where I would say you're like doing thought work in some way or, or working something out. And then there's these comforting practices, which are more about rest. They're more about the, the, the kind of feminine side of it. It's not really productive stuff, but they're comforting. And the first thing I did was, it's interesting because um, I wrote down habits equals ritual. And so, you know, we have these comforting habits <clears throat> um, that I think, you know, are ritual for us. And just notice what those are. You might write those things down so that you have them as part of your arsenal, part of your tool chest, right? It's your treasure box. So, you know, what are the habits that are ritual for you that really bring comfort and joy? You know, they may be something that you do annually. It might be decorating for certain holidays. It might be celebrating your birthday in a certain way. It might be putting on your special underwear under your sweats. <laughs> it might be putting stones in your bra. It might be, you know, um, um, a practice that you have. It might be thinking a about a morning practice like meditation every morning. And you think about that while you just sip your fucking coffee and have a normal day right? Sometimes we let those magical things in, even if we're not doing them. They come into our mind, they come into our body, and they become these comforting practices, even if we're quote unquote, avoiding the work, right? I've always been one to say, man, I wish I was somebody who got up and had a morning routine. But to be honest, routines are quite boring to me. And so instead, I look at how I do ritualize my life. How do I create sacred moments? How do I create sacred spaces? And that to me feels like ritual, feels like habit. And it's maybe not daily, 
but it's cyclical for sure. And I might not be tracking that cycle as, 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 um, as solidly as, you know, would serve me, but some of them I are, I am. One of my comforting practices is returning to my blood cycle. And I often think about how at some point my blood cycle will go away. Right. And it's a time marker. It's a marker of time. And, um, when I'm bleeding, I definitely, um, you know, think about comforting myself a little more than the rest of the month. And, um, and it's not always possible, right? Sometimes I, I have things that I'm doing and it would be good to not schedule stuff during that time. But I often do schedule stuff during that time because I find I'm very creative through my cycle. And I'm often, you know, feeling like I want to put myself out there. Not always, but I don't, I don't necessarily go by the run of, you know, by some of the common thoughts to rest I find other times in my cycle I need rest more than that time in my in my cycle. So, you know, just noticing what it does that what it does serve you to believe about the way you create your habits, the way you activate the rituals in your in your world. You may have something that you do every time you get into your car. Right? And it creates comfort. And, and those things can be, you know, it's, I mean, even just putting on a seatbelt has become a ritual habit for me. This is one of the ways that we could like subconsciously tell ourselves that we care for ourselves. We love ourselves. All those things can be useful. Another comforting practice is prayer and service. And prayer and service, I think, go hand in hand because we pray um, and, you know, prayer used to be one of those, you know, four letter words for me, to be honest, because it felt like we had to, I had to pray to God, pray to an, an a, a deity that I didn't think was the be all end all. I'm not monotheistic in the least. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm unitheistic or something, omnitheistic. I really believe that everything is sacred in this world. And um, not because it comes from one single source, but because it's like this orchestra in some way. And so when I pray or when I'm, you know, it's really within meditation, but it's this intentional when I, when I set a candle on the altar and I place stones around that altar um, and I light the candle and I breathe and I offer my energy to a thought in service of something greater than me in service to someone who's suffering that I know in service to myself I know that those things are are comforting to me and I didn't grow up religious either it's one of those things that in my older days <laughs> in my olden days I did not I, I mean I really rejected any kind of prayer um, and maybe, you know, the first. Hey, thanks for listening. If you've benefited from this podcast or enjoyed it in any way, why don't you head over and do me a favor and rate, review, or subscribe. It helps the algorithm find others just like you who are looking for this material. 
I am so grateful that you're here. If you'd like to work with me, go to paintedgoddess.com and see what is new. Take care.